Yeah, I send it to you, Mauricio. Did you get it? Yeah, okay. So we're gonna do, we're doing a, um, a one-off, which is basically a standalone message this week. And uh, last week we did a standalone as well. And today is gonna, hopefully, is gonna be something that uh, relates to all of you. And so we're gonna talk about how to not freak out. Huh? Anybody ever feel like you just wanna freak out? Right? And I'm not talking about like, the, the Le Chic kind of way, I'll freak out, you know, I'm talking about like when problems just really want to cause you to freak out. The thing about the Bible is that it's very practical. It's not only practical, it answers us in every issue and every situation. While God does not send problems, he does use them. Jesus does not create the problem, he may allow it to do specific things in our life. Jesus will use problems in our life to correct us. He'll use problems in our life to direct us. So oftentimes when our choices are wrong, he allows us to experience the consequences of our choices so that we can understand that what we are doing is not in our best interest. He uses problems to direct you. Oftentimes we're going down the wrong road. We're making in wrong directions and the problem comes. And what the problems cause us to do is back up and reevaluate, right? Everybody ever had a problem and then all of a sudden you started actually thinking about what it was that or what direction you're heading in or you kind of have a, a, a shift in direction. Another thing problems do is they inspect us. If you want to know what's inside of someone and you want to know if your faith is real, just watch how you respond to a problem. Your problems will reveal how strong you are, but at the same time they reveal where you need areas to grow in. And God's okay with it. He's okay with your weakness. He exposes weakness in order for us to deal with it. Right? So anytime weakness comes out of us, it's not that God is trying to harm us by showing us our weakness. He's trying to help us by showing us our weakness so that that area of weakness can be strengthened. The Bible actually says that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And his per perfect strength is only made, made uh, strong in our weakness when we're aware of our weakness. So we take our weaknesses and we give them to him. We don't have shame in them. And when God exposes your weakness, like, wow, Lord, I really have a problem controlling my mouth, you know, or wow, Lord, I really have a problem with, you know, keeping my word or what, whatever it may be. He exposes that weakness, not so that we can kind of rise up in pride, but so that we can humble ourselves and go, I have an issue here, Lord, and I need your help. That's the whole point. And so he uses problems to protect us and he also uses problems to mature us. God allows problems and circumstances to come against you and things to happen in your life, whether it be a choice that you've made, whether it be sinful choices of others, or whether it just simply be the consequence of a fallen world. Sometimes things happen to you and you are absolutely not to blame. What did I do? Probably nothing. Because we have a broken world full of broken people. Sometimes there are things that we do that, you know, we're directly involved in and, you know, we can really see, oh, wow, that was a mistake or that was an intention. But what happens is, is that God uses these issues to mature us. So what does maturity look like? What is maturity all about? Maturity is how you handle a situation. So when the situation comes to you, circumstances come to you, issues come to you, how you handle it deters, reveals your maturity. 
right? So if you're freaking out all the time, it means you're probably not emotionally mature in that area or spiritually mature in that area. That's not, the, that's not a, um, a problem so long as you're willing to grow in that area. And oftentimes when our weaknesses are exposed, this is our human nature, we like to blame. We don't, we don't like to look at ourselves and see our weaknesses. We want to blame everybody else. Oh, it's your fault. Oh, I did this because you did this to me. If you wouldn't have did this to me, I wouldn't have done that. You know? Well, we're in control of our own behavior. I hate to let you, I hate to inform you. I love to inform you of that. I don't want to hate to inform you of that. But maturity, what maturity looks like, how we determine what maturity looks like is how we handle a situation. So when we have issues, we need simple truths. When you're going through problems and you're going through difficult circumstances, what we need are simple truths, not simplistic truths. Right? So you're going through a problem, somebody's like, Jesus is the answer, brother. That's all I got to tell you. Jesus is the answer. Well, that's a simplistic truth. What is a simple truth is how is Jesus the answer to my problem, right? A simplistic truth is, bless God, brother, I'm praying for you. That's a simplistic truth. A simple truth is, why don't you let me pray with you right now? That's a simplistic, that's a simple truth. See the difference? And what we do as Christians is we like to do simplistic truths. We just kind of throw off little things. But simple truths are when we actually apply that truth to the situation. And so scripture is a great source of truth. It actually tells us how we can have peace. You ready? Here's Philippians chapter 4. If you do these things, what's your first response? What things? You will experience the peace of God. If we do some things, right? For every promise, there's a premise. We, there's a premise to the promise. Every time God makes a promise, there's a premise upon the promise. In other words, there's an action, an effort, a motion that we have to take. It's just the way it is. Salvation is a gift, but that promise only is activated on the premise that you give your heart to Christ. The whole world, although Jesus died for the whole world, and that promise is, is, is uh, accessible to the whole world, that promise only becomes activated under the premise that the person receiving it give their heart away. Until they surrender the heart to Christ, the promise of salvation does not come. So for every promise God has, there is a premise. You understand that? And so there's a premise to the promise of peace. He promises peace. But upon that peace, there is a premise. God's peace, which is far more one. He said, so if you do these things, that's the premise. And that's what we're going to talk about. There's far more. He'll give you peace, which is far more uh, than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts quiet and your heart at rest as you trust in Christ. That sounds like not freaking out to me. So God is saying he will give us a place and a peace and a rest and an assurance that no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're enduring, we can have rest. Our mind may not even be understand it. Your mind may be going, you should be really freaking out right now. Why aren't you? Because the peace of God is in your heart. So what are the things that we're supposed to do? Next slide. Well, it tells us above that. So we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4 today. So if you want to read something tonight or you want to read something over the next few weeks, uh, next, next week or what, what have you, is read Philippians 4. Just kind of meditate on some of these verses. Try to get some of these verses in you. Start thinking about some of these verses and ask yourself, what does this look like to me? So Philippians 4, what are the things that it tells us to do? Well, it starts off here. Always be full of joy in the Lord. And he says, in case you didn't get that, let me tell you again. Rejoice. Let everyone, that you see, let everyone see you that you are considerate to, in everything that you do. And remember, the Lord is coming. So I'm going to give you three of them really quick. 
And then five of them we're going to talk about a little bit more in length. So the first three he gives us, he says, okay, rejoice in the Lord. What is he saying? Party on in Jesus. Celebrate in Christ. You may not have much, but I can assure you in physical terms, you are rich spiritually. You are rich. Christ died for you. He loves you. He's for you even when you're against yourself. You are not who you seem. You are far more than what you imagine yourself to be. So the first thing he tells us is to worship. It's amazing if you ever look, want to do a Bible study in Scripture, how many times God moves on a situation when the altar of worship is built. God is not moving until someone builds an altar of worship. Worship altar is built, boom, God moves. What does it look like? What does an altar of worship look like? Well, your heart is an altar of worship. You begin to worship and you begin to build worship in your heart and begin to adore the Lord. You're here this morning and you're, you're at the altar of worship. You're worshiping the Lord this morning. Okay? So peace is coming to you by nature of the fact that you're doing the very thing that he tells you to do. And so we build the altar of worship, whether we feel like it or whether we don't. We worship the Lord and say, Lord, I worship you. I adore you. I choose to set my heart on you. I choose to set my mind on you. You can even do it this morning. You can wake up in the morning and just go, Lord, I knew you're doing some great things in the world. I ask you to let me be a part of them. You may even wake up in the morning and this is a simple, these are simple steps of worship. You wake up in the morning and Lord, I need you today. I need you today. I set my heart on you. Be with me today. That's worship. It's a very simplistic form of worship, but it's worship nonetheless. It's a baby step of worship. You know, God wants you to bring you to the place where you're just consistently in this place of abandonment to him. The first thing he says is worship. And I say it again, worship. The second thing he says, let everyone be, see the consideration that you have. The idea here is that let everyone see that you are a helpful person. What's the thing as Christians is we're world changers. We add value to the people around us. We're in the world, but not of it. Everybody in the world, the culture of the world is that there is we are consumers of people. We look at people or the culture looks at people for what they can do for us. What can this person do for me? That's not the mindset of the kingdom. The mindset of the spirit is that what you can do for others. Right. I think it was a famous speech. John F. Kennedy. That's not what your country could do for you, but what you can do for your country. Well, that's gospel. Not in that he's speaking. That, that resonates with us because it's a, he's kind of mirroring a spiritual truth. Because that's what the Bible tells us to do as followers of Christ. We're world changers and we add value. What can I do to add value to this person? What can I do to add encouragement to this person? What can I do to add encouragement to this situation? So he tells us to help others. The third thing he says is remember the Lord is coming. Well, what does that mean? It means you're not of this world. This isn't your home. So why are you worried? This isn't, this is all of the stuff that's around us is going to change. It's all going to shift. The, 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 the governments, the kingdom, the economy, all of the things. So whatever, whether you're riding high or whether you're riding low, it doesn't matter. You are not of this world if you're in Christ. You're sons and daughters and heirs of an, of an, of an eternal kingdom. And so our minds are to be on that. And Jesus is coming. And when Jesus returns, and he will return, I assure you, he will return. And when he returns, he's going to change it all. Greek word palingenesia, very powerful word, means the renewal of everything. Jesus is going to make all things new. And the spiritual connection that you have, the spiritual reality that you have when you're in Christ is going to be made known fully. 
So these moments that we have, these times of encounter that we have when we're full of the Lord and man, we're just in Jesus, we're just in Christ. That's going to be a permanent state. Aren't you glad? You won't grow old. What are we going to look like? I don't know. The Bible actually says we doesn't know what we're going to look like, but we know that when he comes, we'll be like him. So we don't fully understand what it is that we're going to be like. We'll be human or in human form. We're not going to be some like mist. Jesus ascended as a human, right? He came as a human, right? God took on flesh in Karna. And when he rose back from the dead and he ascended into heaven, the angel said, don't stand in heavens like looking up in heavens in, in awe. This Christ who you just see ascended will in like ma wise manner return. He's going to come. He's going to come with clouds of glory. He's going to come riding on a horse. He's going to come with robe dipped in blood. He's going to come for his people and he's going to execute judgment upon the earth. That's an inconvenient truth to people who don't know Jesus. So my encouragement to you today is if you don't know Christ, you need to give your heart to the one true king because the one true king is coming to establish his kingdom. Anybody say amen to that? Come on. Yeah, we need to clap that out. So it tells us this. It tells us these three quick things. Verse six says, don't worry about anything. What? This is one of those verses that you read and you just kind of go, are you serious? Philippians 4, 6. Let's just say it together. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he has done. Worry is a learned behavior. We teach our kids to worry. Do you know how kids develop worry? They wor develop worry by watching you worry. That's what they do. Say, my son's a worry wart because he's watching you worry. Are you a worry wart? Is there some worry going on in your house? Worry is a learned behavior, okay? We're not born worriers. Kids don't worry. If actually what we do is when we watch kids play, we're like, how can they be so carefree? These kids are just so carefree. Oh, to be a kid again. Not a care in the world. Exactly. Because we're not born to be war worriers. It's not how we're born. It's a learned behavior. And if it's a learned behavior, it can be what? Unlearned. Exactly. So if we learn to worry, we can choose not to worry. And this is exactly what the Bible is telling you to do. Choose not to worry. Choose not to worry. Why? Jesus talks about worry. Matthew chapter 6, he spoke of it directly to the people. Worry is a learned behavior, creates stress. Worry is unreasonable. Worry exaggerates the problem. So when you're worrying, does the problem get bigger or smaller? Bigger. Nobody who worries makes the problem smaller. It wasn't like, wow, I thought I was facing, you know, uh, you know a, 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 a pit bull. And I realized I'm facing a St. Bernard, you know. It's like, what? You think that's what worry does. Matthew 6 says this, therefore I say to you, Jesus again, do not worry. In other words, choose to not worry about your life. What am I going to do? What am I going to be? How am I going to, you know, this is again, this all draws, we draw all this from the spirit. We don't find those answers within ourselves. What will you eat? What will you drink? What about your body? What am I going to wear? Jesus is like, look, be focused on life. What is life? Alive. The word life, the true word for life, is a Greek word, zoe, and it means the life that comes from God. And so what he is saying here, don't focus on these things, on the way of living in this sense. Focus on life and that, that the life that comes from God. Draw all life from God. Everything else will take care of itself. 
Worry is, worry is unreasonable. Worry is unnatural. Matthew 6, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap. Yet your heavenly Father takes care of them. Are you not more important than birds? If there's any creature on the earth that's an inheritor of God's welfare plan, it's a bird. Okay? What do they do? They chirp, right? Right? Some of them chirp when the sun's going up. Some of them chirp when the sun's going down. We walk around the trails of the Everglades, and they, you know, they have these, like, warning birds. I don't know if you ever noticed. Like, there'll be a bird. Like, we'll be walking down the trail, and a bird will come and fly and stand on a stick. And he'll, like, be following us down the trail. And the whole time down the trail, he's just going, chirp, chirp. And he's, like, sounding out a warning. Like, people in the area, something in the area. So this bird is, like, following us, the warning bird, you know. And so there's birds. What does he do? He's doing much. But yet God takes care of them. And if, the, if God is taking care of the birds, isn't he going to take care of you? And he says, you have little faith. In other words, don't believe such low things. Believe at a higher level. Let's just say it. Jesus is going to take care of me. I serve an abundant God who is good, who is merciful, who is generous. Heaven is not broke. Heaven will never be broke. My God will supply all of my needs. So worry is unnatural. Worry is unreasonable. Worry is unhelpful. Hello, Matthew 6, 27. It says, can your worries add a moment to your life? No, not at all. So worry doesn't really do anything. Worry is unnecessary, Matthew 6, 30. If God cares about the flowers of the field which are here today and are gone tomorrow, will, why will he not care for you? Don't have little faith. Choose not to worry. First Peter 5, 7 says this, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares for you. Okay, we have this ability. We have been given this, this ability that's called the imagination. Imagination is a very powerful thing because in it, we can determine things. And so some of you, this is how, this is actually a spiritual interaction. You need to take your worries, put them in a box, gather them up, and just in faith, give them to Jesus. Lord, I just really, here, I just take them all. Take them all. Yep, this too. Put that one, take it up, take it too. It's an act of faith. It's an act of worship. It's actually a spiritual interaction that you can do. You can just see that. You can just take time in a meditative state and gather the things together and give them to the Lord. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. So the first thing, the fourth thing that I was talking about was not, don't, choosing not to worry. Number five is pray. It says, don't worry, but pray. Say, well, I guess we could pray. Has it come to that? Has it come to prayer? Oh my gosh. <laughs> first Timothy says, I desire in all things first that prayer and intercession be made. That's the thing he said. First, that prayer and intercession be made. We do prayer and intercession on the first of the month. We just had an awesome time, man. It, go, it, it was just amazing. We just pray and intercede, and God always visits us and always does something really amazing. We had some really cool things happen um, this Friday. We do prayer and intercession on Sunday mornings. We try to have a prayer and intercession team for you on Sunday afternoons. But prayer, never worry, but pray. Know that God, let, in every situation, let God know what you need in your prayers and your requests. Here's the deal with prayer it's simply asking. Simply asking in the most primitive form that you can give him, in the most elaborate form that you can give him. Jesus said, you're not heard by the eloquence of your speech. 
There's nothing wrong with eloquence of speech, but Jesus isn't, isn't necessarily, that's not the premise upon which he acts. He acts simply upon the asking. Even if you ask him in a primitive way, God, I don't know what to do. Can you help me? Lord, this is my problem. This is my issues. It's a dialogue. It's a conversation. And telling him what you need, what you need and what you're requesting. Our job is to ask. Our job is not to determine how. Situations and circumstances that you face may seem completely impossible. And guess what? Let's just say it. It's not my job to figure out the impossible. That's Jesus' job. That's right. Our job is to simply ask. Prayer changes the atmosphere. And you know what's interesting to me about prayer? Because I, I try to work this stuff out that God says. I try to, like, I'm a practitioner, as you should be as well. We shouldn't just be hearers of the word, but doers. And we should take these principles and these things that he says, and we should press into them until we move into another place with them. Prayer is one of those things that you press into. It's always interesting when you go to pray. You ever notice when you go to pray, you don't feel like talking? You're like, oh. You know, you can't, you can't talk. You know, or when you go to prayer, there's all of these different distractions that happen. And if you don't notice about prayer, it's because you're probably not pressing into prayer. But if you go to press into prayer, you're going to notice that all of a sudden, you know, I try to drive, I'm driving here on Friday night to come to worship in prayer. And I'm talking about the, the onslaught that I'm feeling just coming here. And I, I've, I've experienced it enough to know that there's something good on the other side of that. So just driving here on Friday night to come for, work, for intercessory and prayer, it's just, uh, just warfare, you know? Oh, you're going to go to prayer. What's prayer going to do? Prayer's not going to do anything. Nobody's even going to be there. Why are you going to go there and pray? You know, you don't know what that's not. Are you with me? Anybody hear me? You go to pray. Oh, what's prayer going to do? Prayer's not going to do anything. God doesn't hear you. You flip somebody off on the highway. He's mad at you. <laughs> or you yelled at your kids. He's mad at you. How can you pray? How can you pray? You're not a good Christian. He doesn't even love you. Well, if his love was based upon our efforts, none of us would make it. Love is not based upon our efforts, aren't you glad? It's based upon he loves you in spite of yourself. Come boldly to the throne of grace. The throne of grace. The sacrifice has been made. So there's grace, which means mercy, forgiveness, goodness, kindness, what you don't deserve. Come before what you don't deserve and pray. That's what he's saying. What a good God. Right? What a good God. Prayer changes the atmosphere. James 4.2. If you want something and you don't have it, so you get violent. You want something and you don't get it, so you start fighting and quarreling. Ripping on everybody. Biting and devouring. Getting jealous. Ripping people down. Now who do those people think they are? You're better than me? I don't believe that. You know, you, you know what I'm talking about. The Bible tells us as Christians, we do not have because we do not ask. Very simple. Ours is the kingdom. Ours, to us, is the kingdom. To us is the bread. The bread is for the children. Ladies and gentlemen, in case you didn't know, those who believe Christ, they are the children of God. It's not the family of humanity. It's not, not, we're not all God's children. So in case you didn't know that. Oh, we're all God's children. No, we're not. And that's not what my Bible says. We're all God's creation, but we're not all God's children. To those who receive Christ, are given the title, the authority, the power to be the children of God. And my Bible says to those who receive Christ, their bread is given by the Father. So the Father's bread is ours. It's ours. 
And so we have it, not because we don't want it, but because we're not asking for it or because we're asking for it in a misaligned way. <laughs> I always tell the story of my friend just because this is such, I don't know. You guys want to hear a funny story? Some of you are like, dude, I heard this like 50 times. Well, here's 51 for you. Um, <laughs> I had a friend one time. He wants to go out on a cruise. He comes to me. I'm at this church. I'm one of the leaders. He's like, man, God doesn't love me, man. God doesn't love me. I'm like, why? He's like, I got friends coming into town, and we're all going out. they're all going out on a party cruise, and I need 600 bucks to go out and go on a party cruise with them. And I've been praying for two weeks, and God hasn't given me the 600 bucks to go out on the party cruise with my friends coming into town. I'm like, well, he answered you, and his answer was no. That was the issue. <laughs> I go, so you're asking Jesus to give you 600 bucks so you can go blow your mind out and just go all okay, and go into drunken revelry for, for seven days or whatever it is you're going on. I mean, he's not going to align with that. I've been asking, and God didn't answer. He answered. His answer was no. You're asking amiss. You're asking for something that's outside of his created purpose. If it's inside of his created purpose, and there's wonderful things inside of his created purpose, awesome things inside of his created purpose, the Bible says he will give it to you. Prayer teaches us who we are. Prayer teaches us who God is. We learn who we are. We learn that we are weak and he is strong. We learn that we are sons and daughters and that he is our father. We learn that we are heirs and we learn that he is our benefactor. That's what prayer does. Prayer reveals our weakness. And prayer reveals his power. Prayer is to humble us. We come to God in a state of humility. That's the idea. And he, God exalts the humble, does he not? But he resists the proud. Prayer in the Bible where the uh, religious leader was beating his chest, or the sinner was beating his chest. Lord, I'm broken. Lord, I need you. Lord, I'm desperate without you. I can't do this. And then the religious leader, oh, I thank God I'm not like this person. I thank God that I'm more mature and more spiritually developed than this person here who humbles himself before you. Lord, I'm amazing. I worship you. I serve you in everything. Jesus said one left justified. And he asked them, which one do you think it was? <laughs> God exalts the humble. And humility is, Father, I love you. I am your servant. I am your son. I am all for you. That's humility. We come before him with humility, worship, sacrifice, thanksgiving. God didn't spare his son, Romans 8.32. Some of you should memorize this. Let's just say it together. Since God did not spare his son, but gave him up for me, won't he now in Christ freely give me all things? If he did not spare his son, how will he not freely now give us all things? He who did not spare his son. Number six is thanksgiving. There is such a power between thanksgiving and prayer. Prayer with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving with prayer. Prayer with thanksgiving. They're intertwined. Thanksgiving is a very powerful thing. I was on WebMD this week. Why? Because everything on the internet is true. I don't know if you know that or not. <laughs> and one of the things they research about gratitude is that thanksgiving, gratitude actually creates healthy emotions. I don't know if you're aware of that. When you're grateful for something, for someone, for some, anything like that, it actually creates healthy biology in you. Ingratitude, bitterness. The Bible actually says bitterness is rottenness to the bones. But gratitude creates healthy emotions. 
This would save marriages alone if we would just find something in our spouses to be grateful for. This would save parenting alone if we would just find something in our children to be thankful for. This would save jobs if we would just find something in our employees or in our jobs that we are thankful for. Gratitude creates health and gratitude creates life. It says, in everything gives thanks for God for this is his will. People want to know what is God's will for me? Well, there's certain things in his word that are revealed will. Then there's specific will for your life. This is one of the things that is a revealed will. Thanksgiving is a revealed will. It is his will for you to be thankful to him. It is his will for you to carry with you an attitude of gratitude. What's God's will? Right there. This is his will for you in Christ Jesus. Worry weakens the immune system. This is actually a fact. Gratitude actually strengthens the immune system. So you want to go through flu season? Be grateful. Right? You have an intolerable immune system. Oh, my God. Iron immune system. Thanksgiving. Number seven is think on good things. Here's the good news. You can't control your thoughts. I can't control my thoughts. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. By the use of your senses, you can control your thoughts. You can control your thoughts. You have the ability. One of the fruits of the Spirit, one of them, one of the nine, is the self-control. You have an ability to control your thoughts. It may be a weak ability, but you have the ability nonetheless. And you have to exercise it. You have to exercise it and you become stronger in those areas. Exercise yourself in those areas. Fill your mind with good things. Think on good things. Fill your mind with good things. Whatever things are true, whatever things are good, whatever things are right, think on those things. Whatever things are pure, whatever things are beautiful, whatever things are respectful. If anything is excellent or if anything is worthy of honor, think about these things. So here's the deal. Gigo, next slide. What's gigo? Garbage in, garbage out. The Bible actually gives us a filter for what we should be taking into ourselves. And what does that filter look like? What should you be putting into you? What are your gates? Your gates are your eyes, your gates are your ears, your gates are the environment in which you find yourself. You wanna change the way you think, change your environment. You wanna change the way you think, change what you're taking in. Change what you're watching, change what you're listening. And what's the filter? Well, is, this, is what I'm watching true? Is what I'm, whatever it may be, good? Is what I'm listening to or watching, is it right to God? Is what I'm doing here, is this pure? Is what I'm doing here beautiful? Is there respect in this? Is this relationship have respect? Is there anything excellent about what it is that I'm doing? Is anything that I'm doing, hearing, seeing right now worthy of honor? That's our gate, that's our filter. So he gives us a grid by which we, of things that we are, how we take things into ourselves and about the environments that we find ourselves in. If the environment is not pure and beautiful, guess what, Christian? You're not supposed to be there. It means you're going to be corrupted and you're going to be polluted by the environment that you find yourself in. Unless, of course, you're going there on a mission. Then it's different. But too often than not, we're not going there on missions, are we? We're just going there because we find ourselves there. And then we wonder why we feel so corrupted inside. Because we're, we're taking, we're putting garbage in us. We're surrounding ourselves with trash. And we're wondering why that is. It says, the Lord will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him. So we keep our hearts on Christ. Now, doesn't, I'm, not, I'm not advocating the Christian Ziploc bag where we are just completely, you know, isolated from all external relationships and we just walk around in this like absolute pure holiness. So I don't, 
I don't go to R-rated movies, brother, that aren't about Jesus. I'm not advocating that, okay? But I am advocating discernment. I am advocating that, things, that when things are affecting you, we have to ask why. When the mind is polluted, we have to ask why. When the attitude is polluted, we have to ask why. And so the Bible gives us in this verse, it gives us a filter, it gives us a grid. So we have a grid to kind of measure it. Like, well, this is the problem. I'm in a very disrespectful environment. So what has to happen? Well, I need the job, so what do I do? Well, if you're not in control of the respectful environment, you can be respectful in a disrespectful environment. You can begin to sow the seeds of respect even in an environment that is not holding respect. That's one of the things that you can do among many. There's nothing beautiful around here. Well, how about you bring some beauty, right? You're the agent of change, so we bring beauty. So, the, so I, I don't know if you can see the, 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 the switch. The switch is from what you're taking in to what you're putting out. Right? But if you're being affected, it's like, well, what is coming into me that's causing this effect? What is it that I'm believing that is not right to God? Does God say this? Does the Bible say this? No, then why am I believing it? And so you're wondering why you're in these places. And we have to battle through this sometimes. I'd love to tell you that this stuff is like super easy, but it's not. It's, it's battle. You have to work through it. You have to exercise yourself towards these things. We exercise in these ways. The Bible actually uses the word gymnasu when it comes to Jesus. Exercise yourself to godliness. It's a Greek word gymnasu. It means Jesus is your personal trainer. Right? You want CrossFit? That's the true CrossFit right there. Jesus. He's the, he's the author of CrossFit. Lastly, choose to be content. So we set our mind on good things. We choose to be content. What does that mean? It means you choose to enjoy what you have right now. You say, well, I don't, I'll be happy when I get to that place. Well, that's not contentment. Contentment doesn't mean you don't want to get to that place or whatever it may be. That doesn't mean, contentment doesn't mean you're lazy or you don't have any ambition. Contentment means I'm moving in that direction, but I'm going to enjoy what I have right now. I'm going to be satisfied with what I have right now, even though that's the direction that I'm moving in. So we choose to be content. Here's Ecclesiastes. This is a word for our culture. One hand full with rest. Let's just say it together. One hand full with rest is better than two hands full of work and chasing the wind. Which one are you? More often than not in the United States, we're two hands full of work chasing the wind, chasing after nothing, chasing after emptiness. We're full of work, full of ambition, full of things, but we're, we're, we're swiping at the wind. We're really trying to gain nothing in the end. So here it is. And then I'm going to give you where it all comes from. Right? So what do we do? How do we not freak out? Worship. How do we not freak out? Help others. How do we not freak out? Know who you are. How do you not freak out? Refuse to worry. Pick one or two of these and focus on one or two. You're probably not going to be able to handle all eight at the same time. Number five, pray. Six, give thanks. Number seven, think on what is good. Number eight, be content. And I know what you're thinking. Easier said than done, Kevin. Easier said than done. That's what the honest people would say. That's what actually I say when I write my own messages. I'm like, oh, come on. Who can do that? I argue with myself. <laughs> but you know what's interesting about this chapter in Ephesians, or excuse me, Philippians? Is Paul says all this stuff in chapter 4. And then in the 13th verse of chapter 4, he knows he said hard things. He knows it. He knows what he says to us is difficult for humans. 
And so where does he do? He points us to the power. Philippians 4.13. He says, let's just say it. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So what does it look like? Lord, give me the strength to worship. That's the first activation. Lord, give me the strength to worship. Lord, give me the strength to help others. I want to kill some people, but I know you've called me to help them. So Lord, give me the strength to help people. Lord, give me the strength to know who I am. Lord, give me the strength to refuse to worry. Lord, give me the strength to pray. Because why? The power comes from him. So all of the things he tells us to do, we are incapable in ourselves of fulfilling it. We need his power to do the things that he's telling us to do. It's an amazing thing. It's amazing because it's all this dynamic of relationship. Lord, give me the power to thank you. Give to me the ability to thank you. Lord, give me the ability, the strength to think on good things. Lord, give me the perspective and the strength to be content. So cool. So this is just a little thing for you to help you to not freak out. And I'm going to close with this verse. Job 22 says, surrender to God and be at peace with him and good will come to you. The people probably in this room, more than likely, who have not surrendered their hearts to Jesus. And you wonder why good doesn't come to you. You say, I believe in God. Believing in God with your mind is a completely different realm than surrendering your heart to Jesus. We want peace. We want to not freak out. The first place we need peace is we need peace with God. Peace with God, the Bible tells us, comes through surrender. Surrender. And so if you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus, you've never surrendered, and you're the person, your mind is going, oh, you've done it, you've done it. Your heart's going, I don't know if I have. That's you. And so you need to put your brain in neutral and you need to open up your heart and receive Jesus in your heart this morning. We're going to pray together. We're going to pray the prayer together. We're going to open our hearts, invite you to open your heart. And Jesus is going to come. And he's going to forgive you. And he's going to do everything that he said he's going to do. He's going to give you life. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, come on, let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. And I need a Savior. I may not understand it, but I choose to believe it. I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I'm going to bless you one more time and we're going to dismiss. If you receive Jesus this morning, you can come up and talk to me. You just share it with somebody because it's not, it's not it. That's the start of it. And let me bless you this morning. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. Just receive it. May the Lord set his face upon you, cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen.